You're listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts, powered by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. I'm your host, Travis Condon, the Chamber's Public Affairs Manager, and we're joined today by Gardner Mayor Mike Nicholson. Mayor Nicholson, thank you for being with us. Always a pleasure to be with you guys. How are you doing today, Travis? Doing very well. Now, with the COVID-19 cases on the rise across the Commonwealth, are you expecting city operations to be impacted this fall? I don't think so. I think we took a lot of the different precautions and um, purchased all of the necessary equipment that we did over the past year and a half that we really should be in a good spot as we move forward. Gardner's cases are on the rise, too. We're hovering around 60 to 64 cases right now. Um, Haywood Hospital does have nine patients right now currently in-house who are COVID positive, um, Mm -hmm. eight of whom were not vaccinated. But we are seeing that everything that we put in place last year is still holding good today. The only thing that we're working on now is we're using some of our recovery funding that we received through the American Recovery Plan to um, install a um, air filtration system in City Hall and the other city buildings. That way we never have to worry about closing down our public buildings again. That was one of the biggest hiccups, I guess you could say, we had with the pandemic because we didn't have the equipment in place that we had to actually close the building to the public. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we are working, if we can get those filtration devices put in, we already have them in our schools. Those were our priorities going first. Now we're looking at the rooms in the city hall and the DPW, the police department, the fire station, where we do have those conference rooms so that that our public meetings also can also stay in person and not have to go back to Zoom. Uh, Once those areas are done, we'll go to the regular offices from there. And while we're on the subject of those ARPA funds, the American Rescue Plan Act funds, so you have funds going to these air filtration buildings. How much money did Gardner receive in those ARPA funds, and what other projects are being looked at for future improvements? Gardner received $6.4 million from the uh, American Rescue Plan. Uh, I should say with that, if you look at the plan itself, Gardner is slated to get $2.something million. But mm-hmm. because Worcester County is considered an abolished county, we actually do get a share of what, if Worcester had an established county government, they would have received from this recovery act. So we are getting an extra $4.3 million that way. Uh, So that's where we get our $6 million and change. A couple of other things that we're looking at is um, some Wi-Fi increased opportunities in the downtown area and the other places in which people gather. Uh, We are trying to see if we can get um, wireless internet routers in our Victorian light posts in our downtown to help our local businesses who may be struggling as a result of the pandemic to try to save them some change and having them tie into their Wi-Fi and their internet access that way. Uh, But also for the people who live in that area too. We saw with the beginning of the pandemic when our students went remote, where students were having issues logging on in the city because we knew that these students lived here, but we also know that these students weren't logging on to their Chromebooks during remote learning because they didn't have access to internet in those locations. So we're trying to see if we can help at least support the people who live there to give them access to a, um, some type of available internet infrastructure so that our students who live there can utilize not remote learning anymore, but research. A lot of research now is done through internet means a lot of different things like that. So it's helping our students that way. But it's also doing things like putting Internet access at Monument Park in the Greenwood Pool, where we have some renovations taking place in the next couple of years, that this all just goes hand in hand and boosting what we can offer in those locations. Uh, So that's one of the main things there. Uh, We are running broadband down the last two streets in the city that don't have access to broadband at all uh, up Mm -hmm. in North Gardner Woods uh, and uh, some other different infrastructure in terms of water upgrades as well. But that's really we've only scratched the surface 
on what we can do with these funds, but they're available for us for three years. So the other thing that we're really focusing on is not spending that all in this first year and then having nothing for the next two years, but spacing it out and pacing ourselves and building up and planning so that we know once we get to the third year, we still have this buffer that we can go with. Now, I know when this money first came down, there were some questions as to, you know, what it could be spent on, how it could be spent. Have you received additional clarification on that? Because I know a lot of cities were kind of almost holding on to the money when it first got there, just like, a, hey, we've, we've got this, but we don't know what we can use it on yet. Yeah, it can go toward expenses related to the pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, improvements to infrastructure only for water, sewer, and broadband or internet. Uh, and it can go towards creating... Um, grant programs to help the local economy. So that means that the city can uh, create its own grant program to help the local businesses who struggled as a result of the pandemic. That is something that we are looking into. We're just still really ironing out those facts behind that there. And then it can go towards providing premium pay toward uh, public sector employees who whose hours were not cut and who were required to work in person during the initial period of the pandemic. Uh, that is what the federal Congress has allowed as part of this legislation, and that is what we are required to go off of. We cannot utilize these funds for anything other than those four purposes. Now, when you look at these funds, as you mentioned, you've got three years to spend it, but I'm sure you don't want to be in the situation where you either run out too early or get to the end and say, we've got all these funds and we're not going to be able to spend it, so we're going to lose it. So how do you pace that? Are you kind of really watching the pandemic and where that's going and also watching recovery? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly it, is we see that uh, the roller coaster of the curve in terms of cases here in the city But we're also looking back to see what did we buy when the pandemic, since the pandemic started related to the pandemic, how much did that cost us? And were we using everything that we purchased back then? So we bought plexiglass barriers to put on top of the counters here in City Hall. That's something that we now already have. It's not like we're going to have to go back in two months because the plexiglass is going to expire and we have to get a new one. Plexiglass is there. So we know that those expenses aren't going to have to be repeated. How much did we spend on PPE? How much of that did we use? Okay, if we went through that, we can likely guess that if there's another surge, we're going to go through that again. So let's start seeing how much those masks are and space those out every couple months based on how how quickly we've gone through those in the past. Uh, That's really what we're tracking and going on is what did we do last year? What worked? What didn't? What speed did we need it last year? And how can we utilize that going forward? And we can do a lot of that because a lot of these expenses were covered under the CARES Act, which made it so that we could, we have specific reporting on what was covered from that federal grant program that's utilizing the same reporting system for the ARPA funds. So by utilizing both of those, we can easily track and plan that way. Now, what's not going to come up is the unexpected costs, which we have had to use these ARPA funds for. As I said, one of the costs that's allowed under the American Rescue Plan is improvements to water infrastructure. We had Mm -hmm. a very massive water main break uh, in the city at the beginning of August that uh, resulted in us losing about 4.2 million gallons of water from the water tanks that day. And the reason why it was that much is that the valves that shut off the flow to the pipe that burst were put in in the 1880s. And yes, that is 1880s as in 20 years after the Civil War, that when they had to shut the valves, the valves were so rusted that they just broke and broke open. So there was no way for us to shut that water off. So we utilized some of these funds to get the emergency repairs in because putting in those emergency new valves was an improvement to the water system because we're replacing valves that were put in when Andrew Johnson was president and putting these new modern actually working 
valves in in that system as well. So we have had to use them for some emergency procedures that way. And I'm sure there'll be other things that come up that we just don't expect, but you plan as best you can and you leave that buffer at the end. And I want to talk a little bit about those water breaks because I know there's actually a couple of breaks uh, that you dealt with in the month of August. And last year, the city did take out a loan for $110 million to upgrade the city's water mains. Where does that project currently stand, apart from, obviously, emergencies like this, which set back the plan? Uh, we are actually almost done this round of the project. Uh, we actually The whole plan, project plan itself is 110 We took out 11 to start with. And mm-hmm. that is going towards replacing all of the water mains that were put in between 1878 and 1935. So all the way from just at the middle of the reconstruction period after the civil war to the end of the new deal. That is our main focus that we're going on in this year's project. Uh, We've done all of the downtown areas. We're up on central street now uh, doing pressure testing on the new line. Uh, We'll go down Elm, Pearl, Greenwood, uh, excuse me, Green, Woodland Avenue, some other areas in the Robillard, Douglas area as well. It's a couple miles of pipe, and it's the first time we've undertaken this big of a water project in the city. Now, that has caused some issues because as you fix something that's old, that leaks, that isn't modern technologically standard, you could cause another problem down the line. And that is typical of water main replacements and water breaks is that as you fix and replace an old pipe that could have some leaks, that it's just, it's been in the ground for a hundred years and that's been how it's been. And you replace it with a newer, uh, more up-to-date pipe. You increase the pressure because there's less leaks. You increase the um, stability of the pipe. And what it is is water pipes are known to shake in the ground because they're so pressurized as the water goes through that there are some small vibrations that come as the water goes through it. But as you increase the pressure by improving the pipe itself, you increase that vibration that's there to the point where some of the older pipes just can't take it anymore and they crack. So that's one of the issues for the water pipes. The other thing is it's what's called a water hammer. And that's if we do our best to make sure that we get all the air out of the pipes that we can before the water goes flowing through the new pipes or in the replaced pipes. But what happens is if some of that air gets left in there and you turn the water back on, the water pushes that air on both sides and creates that bubble, but it pressurizes that bubble on either side that that air has to go somewhere and the pipe just bursts. So that is another reason for um, different water makes it, breaks that happen. And that's what exactly happened with the larger break that we had. Um, the fire department was hydrant testing at the same time that crews were replacing a water line an email was sent from the fire department to the water department, but the water department was already in the street working, so they didn't see the email. So it pulled basically water out of both sides and pumped a bunch of air into the system that caused that break. Now we have a different reporting procedure in place on top of that to make sure that that doesn't happen again. But these bubbles that are in there too, we have to really let the air out. And that can, uh, if we if not all of the air comes out, that can also cause a break. So a lot of this is related to the fact that we're replacing these lines, but once everything is replaced and done, everything should be good from there on out. And in fact, in front of the city council at their first meeting in September on September 7th to explain exactly why all these happened last month and what we've done to prevent them from happening in the future. Well, if you're ever tired of running for mayor, it looks like you've um, pretty much secured yourself a job in the water department with all that knowledge you now have. I went to school as a history major and then I went to law school. I never expected to know any of this, but you know, it's uh, part of the job and an occupational hazard would pull it that way. 
Absolutely. And we're going to talk a little bit more about um, the city construction projects, because obviously a lot of this road work is a result of these water main replacements that are happening, these water breakages that are happening. But but you are doing a lot of just other um, infrastructure improvements to the downtown region. I know uh, when I had driven through downtown Gardner earlier this summer, it seems like everywhere I turned, there was a crew uh, working on the road, working on paving. Can you tell us about some of the other projects that are currently underway in the city and that folks are going to see uh, during the fall before it gets too cold to do some of this work? Yeah, we are. Uh, we've got about three million dollars in paving happening this year. That's the most that the city's done since 1985, um, and we only know that because that's as far as our records go back. We don't have records that go back further than that in terms of regular paving. Um, but that's it's just we're going through and we're fixing all the infrastructure that for the past 50 to 75 years just hasn't been updated. Uh, that's new sidewalks. That's fixing the roads. Now, our roads are paved every couple of years, but then there's just times that it just gets put on the wayside. And when you look at our priority street, the streets that we pave are prioritized in terms of the condition of the road, the number of houses on the street, or the number of units on the street. So if there's a big apartment building there or a storefront that has a lot of people going there, and then the number of people that traffic that street. So if a street is out in the middle of the woods nowhere with five houses on the road and that's it, and it's really just the people who live there that are using that road, that's going to be a lot lower on the priority list than a place down on Leo Drive, where there's 70 to 85 houses there with four or five people living in each house, and the road was in a bad condition, so that was why that was replaced this year. Uh, so you, we weigh all those out, but you can't keep pushing off the ones that are on the lower priority list just because they're on the lower end of the priority list. So what we're doing is we're getting the high priority side and then some of the low priority side so that eventually we can meet in the middle and we're helping things on both ends so that the stuff at the end doesn't become so bad that we can't fix it at that point. And it's just something like we had to do and convert some roads into gravel roads because they were just so bad. And now we're going back to try to find ways to pave them. So by, um, that's one of our stronger side of our paving stuff. We're also utilizing about $650,000 in our community development block grant funding to replace all of the light posts and sidewalks in the downtown area on a five-year phase. So we're in the middle of year two and year three on that project right now, and that's $650,000 each year uh, that we're investing in the downtown to boost those areas as well. So there's a lot of different construction going on. Uh, I know I feel like a lot of people are saying there's more construction happening on Gardner than they've seen on Route 2 in the past two years, and that's saying something. But um, once it's all done, it's going to look great. And that's the thing is we're trying to do something that helps make Gardner stand out and makes people want to be here. And I think with a lot of the different other projects that we have down in the pipeline that should be starting within the next month or two, it'll all look great when it's done. I also read that there's going to be some work happening over at the, um, the Wayside Pond Dam. Can you tell us about the grant that you received for that and what kind of work is going to be happening? Yeah, we received, I love this number, $123,400, 123400, uh, from the state to replace the dam over at Wayside Pond. Now, for those of you who may not know what it is, it's the bridge that connects the road leading to Morse Electric down in the Kays Dairy Bar area. Now, the reason why we had to replace that bridge is because it was actually constructed by the Army Corps of Engineers back in the 1940s. But the streams that meet underneath that bridge, there are two streams that connect there. And under the EPA regulations, no matter the width, depth, or flow of a stream or a body of water, if two of those connect anywhere, that connection has to be treated as if it's a river. So since there's a connecting there, we actually have to meet the river-sized standards of that bridges for safety utilizations because if you block that now you're impacting two different bodies of water that are connecting at that point and could cause a flooding issue 
So uh, we did receive a, a grant from the state to go through and replace that over there. So we are working on our water uh, flood infrastructure in that area. There, we're also going to be doing similar work at the culvert at Keys Road over in the west end of Gardner and at the culvert that's at the intersection of Chelsea and Summer Street over in South Gardner. So there's currently three different bridge projects that we're working on right now. Uh, over in Keys Road and at Chelsea and Summer, a lot of people may not even realize that there's a bridge there, but it's actually underneath the street. So we'll have to dig up some of the streets and then we'll go through and we'll pave that areas, those areas as well. And you mentioned that a lot of this work is really going to make Gardner stand out as a place where things are happening, a place that's attractive for people to live. Um, speaking of people living there, the U.S. Census Bureau recently released their local population uh, data from last year's census. How have things changed in the past decade for Gardner and what surprised you most about these new results? Gardner's population increased by 5.2%. So we saw uh, quite a substantial increase compared to other places. If you look at the rest of the state, Western Mass lost a substantial amount of people. Uh, Obviously, the most people were out in Boston. But if you look at some of that tracking data that's behind that number, a lot of it's been happening in the recent years. And it seems to be a trend that as people are leaving Boston to find other places to commute to Boston within a reasonable distance. They're moving closer and closer out west, and that was only exacerbated by the pandemic. Uh, So it's actually spurred a lot of housing projects that are in the pipeline here in Gardner. Uh, We've got a developer who's interested in coming in and putting 80 condo units uh, in the city where it's three bedrooms but two dedicated office spaces on top of the three bedrooms as an idea to attract the people from the greater Boston and Suffolk County area who have been told that as a result of the pandemic, they're permanently working remote as a way for the company to save on their overhead. So it's on the grounds that if there are two parents with some children, that's where you need the three bedrooms. But that way, both parents also then get their dedicated home office space within that condominium to be able to do their work and work in their own space. So now that that's affecting even the design of the housing units that are coming into the city, uh, back on rear Main Street, down right behind uh, the downtown in between the library and the Priscilla's Velvet Goose, John Sports Shop, where the old factory used to be there, uh, we've got a developer who's interested in coming in and putting 56 apartment units back mm-hmm. there right next to the downtown. Uh, and we've applied for a MassWorks grant to put in an event plaza right next to it as well to be able to service the now 56 units of apartments that are there on top of all of the other places that are there. Now that's in Ward 4 of the city and Ward 4 actually grew more than any other place in the city. And that's in the greater downtown area. But you look, we have uh, Haywood Commons, which is the assisted living facility that's right in that area. The lofts at 30 Pine wasn't there five years, uh, 10 years ago. And all of these other different places are congregating closer towards the downtown is what we're seeing. And the people are moving from the outskirts well, not so much from the outskirts, but less people are looking at the available properties on the outskirts and moving more towards the center of the city and their areas of focus. Now, in the past, Gardner had typically been seen kind of as an older community. When you look at this population growth, which age bracket saw the most increase in Gardner? Uh, 25 to 55 saw the largest increase that was there. That was surprising to me, too. Uh, the state got older as a whole. Gardner got younger as a whole. And I think that that's unique. Uh, and I'm, I'm interested to see how that affects things going forward for the next 10 years. Uh, Gardner's mm-hmm. already um, the second highest population in the state in terms of the youngest elected officials in the state. We've got the second lowest on that one. Um, 
but that's just one subset. What's going to happen next because gardening's got that youngest, that younger population than we have and we're seeing in other places of the state. I think it's going to be a really neat trend to see how it takes place. How much does this population data really play into the plans moving forward for this city? And as the city puts together grants and things like that, how much is this information actually utilized? I mean, it's almost every day. First and foremost is uh, we're required every 10 years after the census is done to redraw all of our voting maps. Uh, So that is currently under way right now. We're working with the Secretary of State's office on that. Uh, And by October, the city council will have to vote on the new map to redesign every ward and precinct in the city. And I can tell you, every single ward and precinct is going to have some changes uh, to it. Ward 5 is getting a lot bigger, where Ward 3 is getting a lot smaller. And it's all on population base because each ward has to have a certain number of people in it, and it has to be equal between the different wards and precincts. But our federal funding that we receive for our school district is all based on population. Our Uh, local municipal aid is all based on population. A lot of these things are uh, really just population-based numbers determines the formula on how much funding we receive from different grant programs or assistance programs or any other thing like that from the state and the federal government, that by having these larger populations, we actually are increasing what we're expected to get. I want to shift the focus a little bit to the former Pewter Owl building. This is a building that had sat vacant on South Gardner for a number of years. The building has since been demolished. If you drive by, there's quite a lot of work happening there. There's a, a big kind of construction site now. Can you talk to us about what's coming to that spot? So Gardner Spirits, which is the store currently located at Timpany Plaza, is moving out of Timpany Plaza and constructing a brand new building at that spot. Uh, they purchased it a year or two ago and were just able to uh, knock the building down and move their location over there. Uh, now, a lot of people are saying, well, that's not a new store. That's one that's mo- moving to another place. But it's still a very positive thing, in my opinion, in that we have this existing store that's invested enough in this city that they're willing to spend this extra money to establish themselves in their own location. And I think that actually says a lot about the community that there's enough for a store to want to stay here rather than look at somewhere else. And I think that's mm-hmm. the positive. And at the same time, putting together a space that has been vacant, uh, that has been sitting there, and that is something that a city certainly doesn't want to happen, to have these vacant spots. Are there any other vacant structures or locations in the city that you'd like to see new life come to? And, and are there any other opportunities in places like that? Yeah, there are. We've, we worked with another developer over on Pine Street, too. There was an old triple Decker family home that was actually leaning. If you, I've got pictures of the basement before it was torn down, and the support beams are at pretty much a um, 50 to 60 degree angle, leaning towards wow. the street. And we were worried that the, the building was just going to fall onto the street. Uh, so that's been torn down. We worked with a developer on that one, and now there's a uh, new housing uh, location that's being constructed over there. Um, there's the three buildings downtown that are notorious with our famous uh, slumlord from the city of Worcester that we are working with a real estate company to now to try to um, assist him in negotiating a sale of the buildings. Um, we're working with M- Empire Management, uh, which is located here in Gardner, has an office here in Gardner to see if they would be interested in purchasing those buildings from Mr. Marcus, um, who I mean, Empire has the support of every tenant in all of his buildings on that one. And that is something that we're just working to because we're trying to make it so that the buildings don't get to the point like the Pewter Owl building, where there's just nothing we can do but tear it down Mm -hmm. and work to save 
some of the old buildings are here that are very unique and are a staple to this city. That's all we're trying to do. Um, we also are working with a developer right now in the state to secure some funding with regard to the old Ryan block in the Temptations building down in downtown Gardner. Uh, and things are looking very positive there. I can probably guess within the next two, three years, we'll see a lot of work happening on those buildings. And in the coming days, kids are going to be getting ready to head back to school in Gardner. And a lot of folks might be wondering what that return to school is going to look like this year. Have the details been completely ironed out or is this something that you believe is going to remain fluid throughout the school year? So we have our initial plan, but I think if we didn't go back and evaluate it on a monthly basis, we'd be doing a disservice to our students. Uh, Mm -hmm. We are under mandate right now as a result of the uh, commissioner of education's uh, decision so that all students in grades K through 12 are going to have to be masked up until October 1st, at which case on October 1st, if a school district's population, both students and staff and faculty is at least 80% vaccinated, then uh, the districts can look to lift mask mandates only for grades seven and above. Because right now, under the current vaccine standards, those in grades six and under are not eligible to be vaccinated. So that's why no matter what, all of these discussions are only for grades seven and above. Now, for us in Gardner, grade seven is just one of our three grades at our middle school. So we'd probably be only looking at the high school if it even got to that point. Uh, Mm -hmm. But That's something that for now, it's just every student is going back mass. Every student is going back full in person as is required. But in a way, I understand that there's a lot of back and forth on masking students this year in school. But we're still really getting used to being back full in person at the same time. So the way at least my philosophy at looking at it is, is yes, students are going back wearing masks. But they're also going back five days a week full time in school on a full day rather than on a truncated schedule of two or three days a week on a hybrid model. So it's step one of our several step process to get back to what schooling was like two, three years ago. So if that means you have to wear a mask for a couple of months, at least we made it that far that you're not doing what we were doing last year at this point. And it's a space step process. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow with the pandemic. And we haven't known what's going to happen tomorrow for the, with the pandemic for the past two years. But it's something that we can at least try to do our best with to get back to where we were and what we're used to. And we are seeing some more signs of normalcy happening um, in Gardner and the surrounding region. I saw a post that the citywide yard sale uh, is coming back in October. So that's something to look forward to. But a lot of folks are also wondering, is the chair luge coming back this year? Is that <laughs> something that we're going to see again? The chair luge is taking another year off unrelated to the pandemic. Uh, mm-hmm. Speaking with the Gardner Festival Committee, who is the one who oversees uh, the chair luge, and that is chaired by Andrew Boucher of Boucher Funeral Home and Rick Walton of the Gardner Ale House. Um, the chair luge got really competitive the past couple of years to the point where there were some concerns about people getting overly competitive, causing some personality conflicts and issues that way. Uh, so the chair luge, uh, per the festival committee, is taking a two-year hiatus to let some of the tryhards find other things to go through at that weekend and come back to a just fun community event that's meant to be silly and fun and not a competitive event. The way I look at this, though, is that you've just given those diehards an extra year to prepare their their chair, to, to get their chair ready. They've now got all this extra time to perfect and, and work on the aerodynamics. Hey, you know, that's going to make for some great pictures, though. So either way, like I said, it makes it because Gardner looks unique in that point. And, and for those who are, want more information on everything that's happening in Gardner, on the citywide yard sale, on what's happening with the schools or what's happening in City Hall itself, where's the best place for them to go for information? 
the city's website has a lot of information there. Uh, the city's Facebook, or you can contact my office at any time. We're always happy to help you there. I can say, if you're looking for information on any projects we have going on, like those road construction projects or that Wayside Dam project that we talked about here, I'm really excited and happy about this, is that one of Gardner's new features that should be released by mid-September, we're working on it now, is we're creating a new project map. And what it is, it's going to be similar to our GIS property viewer map that's currently on the city's website, where if you click on a certain parcel, you'll see the owner, you'll see the tax assessment, you'll see what day it was built, and you can pull up the property record card. We'll have that, but it'll have different highlights for the projects that are ongoing. This street is getting paved. This is being built. This construction project is being done. And if you click on it, it'll have a picture and all of the information associated with that project. How much is it costing? How many miles of road is this? Uh, when was the last time something like this was done? And it puts all of that background information there so that with every project that we have ongoing in the city, we are, at, we are as transparent as possible on what the timeline is, how it's occurring, what's going to happen, when we expect the construction to start, to end, um, if there's any unforeseen costs that go with it, we can all put it out to the public that way. Uh, so that will also be available on the city's website. Uh, within the next month or so. Gardner Mayor Mike Nicholson, I want to thank you so much for joining us on the Inside North Central Massachusetts podcast. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you very much, Travis. Have a good one. You've been listening to Inside North Central Massachusetts. This podcast is produced by the North Central Massachusetts Chamber of Commerce. For more information on this episode, links to other episodes on Podbean, or if you have any questions, please visit northcentralmass.com.